at that point, Frank, I, I looked at myself and I said, who am I? At work, I was lady boss. At yeah. home, I was mom. Yeah. Uh, Malugazana. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Kumalo. Yeah. Nobody knew who Sarah is. Yeah. And I found her on the trail. Hello and welcome to The Change Exchange, where we talk about the change moments in life, how we make it happen and how we deal with it when life makes it happen. This podcast series, Change in One Generation, we're looking at people in our country who are now stepping into leading roles, often coming from homes, backgrounds where their parents might not have had the opportunity to fulfill their potential through study or otherwise. And in one generation, they are changing their own and often their family's environment completely. I am your host, Ruda Landman, and I'm joined at the microphone by Dr. Frank Magwegwe, who teaches financial wellness and personal empowerment at Gibbs in Johannesburg. Frank, I'm going to ask you again for someone who may just have clicked on our guest's name and listeners. I will tell you who she is later. Science of change? What is that? For most people, it would be change is a black box. I'm not good at it. That person who has been successful, they're different from me. There's something about them and that's not me. And what we're going to do on this show is to unpack this mystery, this black box of change and show through real life stories that many individuals who successfully navigate change, there are certain things that they do that are very different from those who struggle with change. And therefore, we can certainly claim that there is a science behind change. Yeah, there are patterns. There are patterns that we can identify. And in fact, I know you're going to get there just now, but I'm beating you to it. <laughs> we even have a formula for change that we have been talking about in our past episodes. And it's really a thread through everything that we're talking about as we listen to these stories. We say for change to happen, there are three things that needs to be in place. An individual who navigates change well has to be firstly dissatisfied with the status quo. Some unhappiness with what is happening around them. And that's the D in our formula for change. Then we go further and say that same individual, they need some compelling vision about a future that is exciting, that is attractive, and that is pushing them to embark on change. So that's the V in our formula. And then the third element is the F that talks to the ability to take first steps towards that change that they're envisaging. And so we say on this podcast, for change to happen, we need D times V times F to be greater than R. And R represents resistance to change. And of course, you see that it's a product which tells us none of those three elements can be zero because zero times anything is zero. You need a little bit of D, you need a little bit of V and a little bit of F to embark on a change journey. And folks, there is it. That's our change formula. Great stuff. And so to introduce our wonderful guest, Sarah Kumalu, um, the first black African woman to summit Mount Everest 2019. Huh? Yeah, yeah, 2019. Thank you for having me. And you well. skied to the South Pole. When was that? 2019, December Same 2019. Year. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but you also work in the financial world or worked in the financial world. And you come from, you're of Rwandan 
origin. Yes. So my grandparents came from Rwanda. They were missionaries. And what did you get from them, do you think, that, that has built a foundation for where you've gone? My, my grandparents were, were philanthropists. You know, they, they taught me um, the sense of giving, social consciousness. My grandmother, who was a vegetarian, we, we had huge gardens that uh, planted everything, maize, um, sweet potatoes, groundnuts, and so forth, more than we needed. Um, you know, on harvest, she would get on her bicycle. I always say she was the only grandmother or old woman I knew that would cycle. And she would go and get people from church or people in the community that needed it, and she would, she would deliver. And she would obviously go with us, myself, my uncles, uh, and my sister sometimes. So the sense of giving, uh, which my grandfather at the time, though I didn't understand it, always used to say, if you don't live a life of service, it's a life wasted, is, was their way of life, you know. Um, but for my mother, who was a single parent in Lusaka, she taught me a sense of I can do anything. She raised us seven girls, a single mother, in really a patriarchal environment that always said to her, you know, Helen, you need a boy, I guess, which is why she ended up with seven girls after six pregnancies. Um, she would always come home and say, the sky is the limit. How did she earn money? Oh, man, she can sell ice to an Eskimo. Since I was born, I've always known her to be a businesswoman. So she would sell anything. She, at some point, we had four shops in the market. Why four? Four at the entrance of the, the four um, gates of the market, which I didn't understand then. But now when I think about it, that was strategy. She would always say, but why would people go to the back of the market to buy something? So she she's a businesswoman. Uh, she's now retired. But the one thing that also she did is every cent that she got, reserve, she built houses. And I can proudly say that she looks after herself. I've never had to worry about my mother, you know, uh, in the sure, years. Sure, Frank, you teach financial wellness. That's an amazing um, thing for a child to, le to learn. Absolutely. And just listen to that story, I was just thinking of one of the challenges that... Um, particularly here in South Africa, because we've got low levels of financial literacy, is this idea of financial socialization, simply meaning how do young people learn to learn about money and manage their lives and ultimately thrive? Either you learn because someone is telling you there's a budget in the household, this is how much we earn, we've got this car, maybe it's on a car loan. Another way of learning is what we are hearing from Sarah, our guest today, of observing. My mother is an entrepreneur. She's got four shops at the beginning of the market. Uh, she's able to look after herself. In fact, she used to be employed. And then she's got kind of the self-hustle. So we learn about money through direct being taught about it. But research tells us that the most effective way is actually observing what our caregivers do, whether it's a parent, whether it's a granny, and you learn from there and make the connections yourself, you know, about managing money. And it's so interesting. The other thing I noted, Ruda, was um, the sense of giving that is coming from Sarah. I think it's very interesting to explore that further in our dialogue. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. People don't spend a lot of time thinking about financial services. They simply think about the money they need to do things and the things they need to do with money. 
That's why at Brightrock, we don't think of ourselves as a financial services provider. Rather, we're a money company. In fact, we're the needs-matched money company. Everything we do is about meeting people's changing needs. That's why we created the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And because we want to meet people's changing needs throughout their lives, we set out to learn everything and share everything there is to know about change. We call it Change Science and you can learn all about it at the Change Exchange, a free resource that's filled with tips, tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. You can find more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is mountaineer Sara Kumalo. The third thing that also came out in previous conversations we had is the sense of I can, that your mum your mum had that. I mean, with, with seven kids and a, a single mother, but there's no, oh dear, who will help me now? No, absolutely not. Well, one of the interesting stories that I remember vividly is the community having a, a community meeting with all the men, and my mother decided I'm going. And somebody said, but no, no, no. He says, but I am the father and the mother of my house. I'm coming to that meeting. You know, she took my sisters and I to offices where, you know, we didn't need to be there, but she would just pull us in. She said, no one is coming to help you. You know, you need to help yourself and you need to work hard because nothing is going to be given to you for free. And and that's um, how I lived. You called it self-efficacy? Absolutely. And that whole sense of... Um I can set goals and achieve them in spite of you know obstacles. And how do we learn that? It's almost that self-belief. It's within ourselves. We learn it in a number of ways. We learn it through seeing others setting goals and achieving them. We learn it when we set goals ourselves and achieve it. So there's an internal part of it. There's an external. And research tells us a big component of it comes from observing those close to us. Because often people far away from us is can be quite difficult to identify with them as our role models. So what's coming strongly is seeing my mom doing one, two, three. And then I take a step back and say, if she can do this, I can also do it. And that's a fundamental pillar of dealing with change. This idea of I can do anything, the sky is the limit. If I fall, if I'm struggling a little bit, that self-efficacy says, wait a minute, this was just an obstacle. I can walk around it and continue on my, my journey of change. It does sound like there's very strong foundation in Sarah's upbringing. So how did you end up in South Africa? Um, so I married a South African and um, I came here actually permanently in 1999. Um, I have two amazing boys uh, through that and um, yeah, that's how I ended up here. How did you back. experience the, the, the shift, the change? The change was interesting. First of all, the decision to leave my home, what I've always known and come through was uh, was scary because I was coming to um, 
people that I didn't know except one person. I didn't have a like a safety net. If you read my book, you realize that I actually squatted at some point at men's race when uh, my ex-husband was doing medicine. But I was very clear that where I was, that's not where I belonged. I was coming to take on the world, you know. And um, Sorry, why? Um, is that dissatisfaction? That, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, why, what, what did you not like? What, what did you want to get away from? Wow, that's a long story. I don't know if we have the whole day. But, yeah. uh, you know, in maybe I'll take us a little bit back. Uh, I had watched Coming to America. I don't know if you, not the new version, the old version. Yeah. Everything I saw in there showed me that America is where I needed to be, you know. And we, we went to the U.S. And I discovered something. They are not what that movie says they are. That's you know? the marketing department. Yeah. <laughs> That's the PR. Yes. You know, they asked me, oh, Zambia, what state is that? Um, you know, where did you learn English? And I realized that they're just people like me, even though in some cases worse off. You know, do you know my friend from Nigeria? And I, and I also met some of the people that I knew that were doing so well back home there that were living in smaller houses, struggling, and I just thought, nah, th this is not it. And I came back and said, I can make it here, uh, you know, um, bigger and better. And we obviously started a family. Um, and and also knowing that if I looked at my grandparents, what they had achieved, my mother had achieved a bit more. And I knew that I could achieve much more. Frank, I think that's fascinating that you actually follow your dream and then realize, but the dream is, is, a, um, no, is an empty promise. It's not quite what promise. I want. And what does that do to people? How, do, how does it affect the journey? I think what's so interesting about it is, and we've got an interesting term in research that, that we use, um, and we call it mental agility, but that's just a big word of really just saying perspective. It's saying, what does an individual do when something you have wanted for so long, you get close to it and you realize, wait a minute, that's not what I want. The first thing that happens is I'm disappointed and I want to focus on that moment. I'm disappointed and some people when they are disappointed, they fall into despair. My goodness, what am I going to amount to? What am I going to chase now? This rainbow, you know, this, what we call it, the, 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 the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's actually not there. Some people, when that moment happens, they simply say to themselves, you know what, this is what has happened, but I can still achieve greatness. I can still achieve other things. And I want to link that, and then we can go back to our guest too. My grandmother was quite successful. My mom, a little bit more successful. And I wanted to be more. I wonder if when that disappointment in the U.S. Um, happened and the thinking of, but they were successful in Africa. I think I can be more successful. So it perhaps was a momentary disappointment and then in fact set out the foundation for wanting to achieve other things. Is that how you thought about uh, it, sir? Absolutely, because um, I knew I had seen a lot more success than I had experienced in the U.S. And I thought to myself, um, you know, I could do better in my environment because I've seen better and I can come and visit. 
Why did you choose uh, the financial world? What did you study and where did you go? Oh, yeah. So I, I did accounting. Um, you know, and with a minor in uh, computers. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, early 2000, you probably remember this, there was all this talk of dot bomb. Y2K. <laughs> Y2K, yes. yes. Um, and um, and I, I came to Joburg, I worked at the Department of Public Works after three months. Um, this wasn't what I, I wanted to actually um, go forward with because it was just a job for everybody, you know, and I decided I'll take a risk. Um, after they offered me a permanent position, I declined it. I took a temporary position at Ebux. Um, they had just started, I think they were six months into it. Um, and I focused on, on the uh, computer side of my studies. And uh, I joined them. We started the Ebux shop, the e-commerce. Um, and the team there, I, I speak about it fondly because we were going to take on the world. We were starting this virtual currency um, that was probably going to compete with Iran, that was going to give people another financial freedom of some sort. Um, but also we we worked with the leadership that they, they were like owners and they made you believe that you are an owner and you are part of this revolution of some sort. Um, and in that environment, I was there for about um, 10 years. And what was interesting is the status quo was not, it, it, it wasn't something that you couldn't challenge. And everyone was comfortable with you challenging the status quo. Interesting, huh? That it's, that it's not just the individual. Yes. Never just the individual. Never just the individual, but also I think we must harness this for our listeners. This idea that after three months, I realized that the Department of Public Works, you know, I didn't... Um, wasn't it wasn't where I wanted to be. It wasn't where I want yeah. to be, right? Yeah. And Sarah used this specific expression then, I took a risk and went to Abax, right? I just want to pause there because what we're seeing, think about growing up, what she has shared with us, the mom raising seven girls, right? And so we're seeing early interaction with change, being comfortable, being adaptable, prepare someone for taking risk. In other words, here's a permanent of, but no, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to go to this, you know, opportunity. And you can see just from looking at her eyes, I was really looking how she's talking about something that happened quite a long time ago, right? But you can see the joy. It was an environment of risk taking. We're going to take on the world. And so again, Ruda, we learn that when we have this foundation of being told the sky is the limit, you can do anything, we see the granules riding the bike, that whole socialization, it's going to be very interesting to link that to mountain climbing. <laughs> How did that start? Oh, wow. In 2009, I remember sitting in the office around 7 o'clock in the evening and I got a call to say my older sister had passed away. Um, oh, and I remember that um, I just started crying. What was she? She had just turned 40, if I'm not mistaken. Sure, yeah. young. She was young and it was unexpected and um, she died alone. Um, and, um, and, I, and I just, I, I cried, but I also started wondering whether she had achieved her purpose, you know. And I also started questioning myself. Am I reaching for the skies? Going back to what my mother used to say. And the answer was no. Because until then, I thought I was successful. I was a manager, I had a house, I had a home, I had kids. 
But I just felt that I hadn't. I wasn't doing enough. And I also went back to my grandparents saying, you know, um, if you don't live a life of service, it's a life wasted. And the answer once again was, was no, I wasn't living a life of service. It was just me, my little family, and, you know, and I quit. Um, I quit, lost uh, a bucket of shares, which was probably an emotional decision at the time, but it felt right. I went to work at the post office at the time. President Zuma had just won elections. There was a whole group of people that went to the post office, and we were going to turn post bank into a profitable bank. We're going to help people that previously were not part of the economy understand finances. So and once again, it was it was a it wasn't just a job. No. It higher was calling. for the sake of Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Sense Absolutely. of a higher calling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I didn't last. I was there for 11 months. Um, one of the things that was different from this environment, the environment I had come from, is people saying, Abat Sarah, we've been doing this for 25 years like this. <laughs> you know? and, and, and I kind of struggled with that. And uh, I was then headhunted at, at uh, Discovery. I want to, to just give Frank a, a, a chance to, to respond to that. People were saying, we've done this like this for 25 years. You know, there's, there's that kind of almost dead hand of history. And you know what I call those, Aruda, and my students would know it gives, I call them Dr. No-Nos of change. Because they say, <laughs> no, you can't do this. We've always done it. No, that will never work. Someone proposed it a few years ago. No, no, no. You're the one who's going to leave. I'll still be here when you get frustrated in trying to you know, implement uh, change. And what we see about individuals like that, if we go back to our change formula, we definitely see a big portion of I'm comfortable with the status quo. There is no need for me to change, which is our D. The V of a different world is really not even there. And because of that, they thrive in pulling down those who want to change and frustrate them so that they can move on. You know, and I was making notes here, Ruda, because I think what you can see is moving different country, this diff job at Public Works, then we have e-bikes now, and then we have um, e-bikes, which is first rent, then we've got the post office, then we've got this. So what you can see, here is someone who is adaptive to change. And for me, it's going to be very interesting to um, link that ultimately to how exactly did something as grueling, as demanding as mountain climbing came about, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so answer that question. Yeah. So then in the, in the discovery environment, they encourage us to um, to adopt causes, whether it's animals or, or, or people, children. So we, in our department, adopted a home called Kids Heaven. And they look after street kids. They do amazing yeah. work. Yeah, they do yeah, amazing I know work. Of them. Between 180 to 200 street kids. And every month we'll ask for donations from colleagues that they're in the office, which will be matched by the company. And we take these kids for a hike or whatever the case may be. But every second month when you come in and ask for this money, you see people have donor fatigue. They are tired. They're, oh, there she comes. You know, and somebody said to me, well, they are climbing Kilimanjaro. But it was my bucket, on my bucket list when she said they were climbing Kili. I said, I'll come with you. And in the process, I said to her, why don't we use Kili? Were you a person who exercised, who trained? Were you, fit? were you fit? <laughs> Not until my sister died. I changed wow. a lot. 
Um, I mean, that process of me moving to the to uh, the post office, I joined the gym. Um, I went back to, to church as a pathfinder. And I just want to pause there because, and firstly, just start by saying sorry about the loss, you know, of your sister. It's always challenging to lose a sibling. Um, I remember my time when I was at, at, at Vets 94, I lost a brother, 96, I lost my sister. It can be quite uh, you know, a challenging time. So I can sense kind of where you were when this happened. And what I want to harness for our listeners is this. And Ruda, I'm sure you can see how sometimes something happens to you and it becomes a catalyst for bigger changes in life, right? And you recall, Aruda, from our, 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 our earlier episode, we spoke about the power of self-awareness. So what happens sometimes when we go through, and what I wrote here was trauma, it could be a tragedy, it's grief, it's a challenge. Often what happens from that, we really challenge to the core about our identity. Who are we? How do we show up? And how do people experience us? And often people, there are two paths that often happens. There might be a middle one, but mostly our research tells us there's, there's really two extremes. One is I struggle with those questions and I just carry on with my route. I kind of, ah, they are difficult to answer. I'm not ready for them. You know, I ignore them. The other route is, my goodness, I'm propelled because I realize the power inside me. I want to achieve greatness. I think it's within me. And you choose a totally different route. People who knew you before and after, they cannot understand this person. So I'm thinking of people with you at EPAX, they hear you have successfully, you know, uh, uh, climbed Kili. They're like, what? She wasn't fit. Yeah. She was just like one of us. Absolutely. And what I'm offering to our listeners is again that V and the D. I'm dissatisfied with life. I think of my mom. I think of my sister. And I say to myself, there's a bigger thing out there. And of course, what we need in that equation, and that's what Sarah is telling us, that ability to take first steps. It was there for her. Mm -hmm. There was someone who was already climbing Kili and says, I'll do it with you. So the combination, the D was there, the V was there, the F was there, and off she went. You know, I, I just want to, you, you're so spot on because... At that point, Frank, I, I looked at myself and I said, who am I? At work, I was lady boss. At yeah. home, I was mom. Yeah. Uh, Malugazana. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Kumalo. Yeah. Nobody knew who Sarah is. Yeah. And I found her on the trail. Listen and to that. Talk more about that. What I, do you mean? I, I think I just realized that people didn't know who I was. The, the, the go-getter, the little teenager that would just uh, be told that there's something happening there and we just say, okay, I'll see you later and I just go and explore. The curiousness outside of the corporate world wasn't there anymore and I was I needed to find that. Um, you know, and uh, any friend that I had until then was either my ex-husband's relatives or his friends. I didn't know who, I didn't recognize me the ambitious, the go-getter, the person that um, used to say, you know, I didn't come to Jobek with a blanket. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Wasn't there. And I needed to find her. Um, and I started hiking more. I created my own tribe of people that knew me. Yeah. Sarah, not Mrs. Kumalo, not Malugazana, not Lady Boss, just me. Um, and I haven't looked back. And let's pause that. What often happens to us, Ruda, as individuals, when we 
have identities and we have multiple identities. We're hearing daughter-in-law, mom, lady boss, if you just limit it to those three, right? And often these identities that come as a result of positions we occupy, we sometimes identify so strongly with them that the Sarah, the Ruda, the Frank is lost in that. And that's what I'm hearing from, uh, you know, from Sarah, that we act out what society expects us in this multiple identity. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but often a turning point comes in life where we say, yes, I have these identities, but my goodness, what happened to the young, curious person that was saying the sky is the limit that was being told you can achieve? And that often is a powerful turning point. And when people are prepared to change and chase that dream, my goodness, amazing things happened, as we'll just hear now, not only Mount Kili, but many <laughs> other things that Sarah did. So how did, <laughs> how did that, the, the, the vision progress? When did you yeah. decide that Everest was actually <laughs> yes, absolutely. possible. Absolutely. So we did Kili um, and uh, we raised um, enough money to build an outdoor gym for Kids Heaven. We converted a room into a library there. Um, and while we were handing over, one of the kids in the home <laughs> said to me, do you really come from the township? I remember laughing because I thought, do black people swim kind of joke? And she said, no, 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 because people like us don't do things like this. You know, and, and that hit hard because I could relate to the sense of self-disbelief. I grew up with that, watching Wonder Woman well, when we eventually got a TV and Superman and thinking, you know, they are flying, they are saving the world. It's them and not us. I think they are epic, but I can never be. Um, but subsequently realized that I too can be a superhero. I need to show my boys and this happened over maybe a course of about two weeks, you know, that help comes from within. They, they shouldn't sit and say people like us don't, can't do things like this. No one is coming to help them, really, you know. And, and I made a conscious decision that I was going to climb the seven highest peaks on the seven continents around the world, but use it to raise money for education. Because the difference between that girl or the limiting beliefs that Sarah, young Sarah had to say people like us don't do things like this. And me at that time was the investment in education that my mother did. Um, and so education has become quite key for me as a foundation. And I, I believe it's the equalizer. It, it doesn't solve everything, but it's the start of bigger thing for an African child. It's a f absolutely necessary first absolutely. step. Yeah, but later in your in your climbing career, there was another moment when uh, big bosses said, uh, "Your your your kind of people, women, <laughs> basically, <laughs> cannot do this." Yes, and so, you needed to be led by a man. Yes, so that that happened a lot along the way. Um, you know, um, getting to Nepal and seeing that I'm the only female of my color um, and females are a minority in the mountain. What does that do to one? Why is it important? Um, I mean, how does it affect you? It initially, it didn't bother me. Then it started bothering me when people expressly said, so what have you done? What makes you think you can? Oh, you're going to base camp. So the assumption is you must be going to base camp. There's Only. No way, yeah. There's no way you could be going above. And that initially started as, um, you know, almost 
imposter syndrome, like maybe I don't belong here. Then it infuriated me that I needed to show them that I belonged. It became, representation became key. My child doesn't have to think twice about studying medicine because they've seen somebody like them doing medicine, you know. And I think even the mountains, I need people to look at someone like me and give me the same benefit of the doubt that they would give a white male, you know, with money uh, on Everest. In 2016, um, after two attempts, Fikile Mbalula tweeted, he's got funding to take the first black African woman to the summit of Everest. And I was called and we sat down and um, eventually, you know, lots happened. Among those is who's the man taking you up, which was infuriating because at the time I had more experience than other men that I had had done Everest previously. And and so it, it became very upsetting that it's not just these foreigners that I meet on the trail that don't believe with me, but it's people that also look like me that think that I can't, that are not giving me the same benefit of the doubt. I think it happens, but what um, I'm grateful for and humbled for is there's a few of them that I've had to summit and they didn't. And I know going forward for them, they'll look at me differently or anyone that looks like me differently. They'll look at the world differently. So I've had to teach them, I think, in a way. (laughs) Talk to us about this thing that we put people in boxes. We say this kind of person, including me or not including me, can do X, Y, Z. That kind of person can't. So that stereotyping. Yes. It's got such a profound effect on, on individuals. And often, again, it's one of those things where you find, you know, in various studies that often people respond in kind of two distinct distinct ways. One is internalize it, believe it, and then it, 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 it kills your aspirations. I don't oh, this is here. my box. Okay. This is my box. This is what <laughs> is expected of me. And you kind of, you know, go with that. The other response is the one we are hearing from Sarah of, uh, no, no. I don't belong in this box. This is infuriating. You know, I'm going to to show you what stuff I'm made of. I believe in myself. Who dare you, you know, kind of put me in a box. And that response is built on this wonderful, is really one of my most favorite, you know, concepts. The idea of self-efficacy. It simply says within individuals, we have this ability to say, I can set goals and achieve them in spite of obstacles. Now, Ruta, the interesting thing about self-efficacy is, firstly, it starts from within. It's like this internal thing. You know, you believe it yourself. But doesn't end there. It also then looks at role models who have overcome perhaps similar challenges or even people who have faced obstacles and faced obstacles and overcame them. It looks at especially people close to me, what have they achieved? It also even go further. It is this drive that in this that I'm doing, I might also be role modeling for others, which is kind of the same that comes from your granny, the giving, the life of service and purpose. And really when you have that, my goodness, you have one of the powerhouses. I almost think of it, you have this secret source Ruda, of managing change well this idea of self uh, uh, efficacy because it will drive your dissatisfaction and it also drives the vision that I can handle change because it's something that's coming from within and you can see it's a constant thread from what Sarah is sharing with us we created the change exchange 
Because at Brightrock, we love change. And we wanted to know and share everything there is to know about change and how it impacts our lives. We call it Change Science. Change Science shows that everyone can get better at navigating change and that in all moments of change, there's always opportunity. To learn more about Change Science, visit the Change Exchange, our free resource that's filled with tips, tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. Just like the stories in this podcast, you can find many more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is mountaineer Sara Kumalo. It took you four tries. Four attempts, four yes. Four attempts. Yes. And the things that stopped you were, I mean, so fierce and fearsome. An avalanche which killed, what, 16, 16 people? 2014. Um, um, if there was ever a time that I would have given up, it was probably going to be then. Um, how, did you, how did you not? Yeah. What made you say, I will try again? So 2014, like I said, if there was ever a time that I could have given up was then because I was a novice mountaineer, serious inferiority complex. They made me feel like I didn't belong. I had to almost say, oh, look at who I came with to feel like, you know, then <laughs> they recognized my presence. And when those shepherds died, they were as scared as I was. And one of them actually ran off Everest Base Camp. It made me realize that um, the playing field is is really leveled. There was a sense of... There's no um, Superman here. No, no, absolutely not. And also there was a sense of um, survivor's guilt. You know, did they die because I wanted to climb? But one thing that became very clear for me is that we are all going to die at some point. It was their time, but it wasn't mine. I needed to figure out what I needed to learn from the experience until then in order to move forward. And the sense of agency um, was very clear for me. Agency or urgency? Urgency. Urgency, urgency. that it needed to happen it now. It needed to happen now because yes. I don't know if tomorrow, um, I, I have tomorrow, you know. And and I left Everest Beach Camp. I came home to people saying, oh, no, but you tried. You, you know, you don't have to do it again, you know. But... I became a lot more aggressive about going back and raising more money for education because if I looked at my sister uh, dying unexpectedly, those poor shepherds that were a lot more experienced just dying, um, my day could be tomorrow. Um, I don't want to go before I have achieved my purpose. I guess it's it's a long way from 20, 2009 to 2014 to come and realize this was my why. I needed to do this because then, Rhoda, climbing became a little bit more than just about me. Uh, it be, I became, a, you know, almost like a, a speck in the bigger scheme of things. Um, and uh, hence, uh, Summits with a Purpose, which is the initiative that I started to say, I'm not going to just climb and take a selfie. I'm going to climb and make a difference. The grit. The, that after not only were there four attempts, but there was also the very bad mountain biking accident, which had you in a coma for what, 
a few weeks. Yeah, for over two weeks, close to uh, three weeks. Um, that was, and that's physical. I mean, yeah. it's it's your body that you needed to get you up the mountain was yeah. now broken. Yeah. How did you find the the resilience? Yeah. So so there's, there's something that I started doing in 2014, which I still do today. Everything that happens to us or for us, um, if you sit down and really interrogate it, you find that you have two pages or more of lessons, of positives in every incident, but half a page, if at that, of what didn't go right. Let's go back to 2014, right? 16 shepherds died. That is uh, very unfortunate. Um, I didn't get to summit. That's unfortunate. But I became an experienced mountaineer. I summited Labouche East. I I noticed that my training wasn't going to save me right. I became a cyclist and a runner after that. Um, I, I, I was a lot more prepared for the mountain than before this incident came. I became a lot more deliberate. And I'm very quick at accepting what I can't change. And I aggressively follow what I can. And and that saves me well. And and then it reduces the amount of time I waste regretting what hasn't happened. Oh, I want to frame that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk, talk about that, please. And I'm so glad I was patient and, and you know, allowed you, uh, uh, Ruda, to go a little bit further when you asked me, kind of, you know, you were thinking about grit. Because I quickly wrote down resilience when you mentioned grit because they're kind of cousins in terms of concept, right? So this idea of resilience, just unpack it a little bit for our listeners. So resilience is simply the process of adapting positively to trauma, to tragedy, to stressors, really difficulties. And when we we, we say adapt positively, we're basically just saying if two people had experienced the same stressor, trauma, or tragedy, we are interested as resilient researchers and change researchers to understand what did person A, what did Sarah do differently from Joe, you know, who crumbled as a result of, uh, of the experience? And what is so powerful that came out is this idea of, and again, you know, academics, sometimes we like big terms, we call it mental agility. But Ruda mentioned in, the, in our other episode that uh, this is simply having a perspective. Mental agility, it's the process that Sarah vividly described for us. She said, I realized that uh, earlier on, she mentioned about a sister in purpose. If we go to 2014, that we all die at some point. We're all going to die. And maybe I don't, I, I, I can deal with survivor's guilt by saying, the shepherds didn't die because they were trying to help me to climb. Maybe it was their time, right? Because we're all going to die at some point. Just think about that that reframing, that perspective of what has happened. She didn't stop there. She then said, she developed this sense of, I'm in a hurry, agent. Man, I can't just be climbing. I need to use this experience for a bigger cause. Another person would have looked at it differently. I'm a novice. Who do I think really I can climb? You know, I I am. I was put in a box. They were right. I can just amount to Kili and that's it. I must go back to my corporate job. But do you see the reframing? Do you see the challenging? The And I mentioned earlier, Ruda, one of the key tools we need for change is self-awareness. 
Think about the level of self-awareness that, that Sarah is talking about, right? And so from there on, she says, I found my why. I found the reason why I climbed mountains. And so we learn that in the science of change, not only is motivation key, not only is this mental agility or taking perspective key, but in fact, one of the key fundamental building blocks is this idea of resilience, that I can fail several times, but I don't give up. Why don't I give up, Ruda? Because I've got my why. That's why I don't give up. Mm, mm. And where did you take it? What do you want to do with it now? If you say yeah. that, why? Well, how did you choose that? You say education, but that's why. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I raise money and I build an, an awareness. Obviously, I build uh, digital libraries um, in uh, rural and township schools. Um, what I, does that mean What in practice? In, in practice, so practically I've built five Mandela libraries. Those are physical libraries. Um, and uh, I'm now partnering with iSchool Africa. We build digital libraries. So we go to a school, um, we train teachers, um, you know, obviously also tackling the digital divide. Uh, and we donate um, a whole set of iPads with uh, content that is on there that's managed uh, remotely. Um, and the children actually use those iPads and the feedback for little ones, for little ones. Mm. yes, for little ones. And the, the feedback that we're getting is how they've improved in terms of reading uh, um, and also um, numeracy, uh, which is exciting because if you look at the UN, it says that, uh, you know, Africa has the youngest population in the world. If that population fails, it's because you and I have failed to enable them, to equip them. And you know, they can't be second-class citizens in the global village. It's because we have failed. And on that, Ruda, remember how you introduce, you introduce our podcast, Change in One Generation. People doing amazing things, right? That is a bigger impact across South Africa. But, you also put a but, often we don't realize or appreciate enough the journey they have walked, the falling, the not giving up, the struggles. When we read Sarah's book, when we see her in the newspapers, we often don't spend enough time going into those stories. And so the beauty of this podcast is not only making our listeners aware of, we all can tackle change. There's a science behind it and we're unpacking it for them, right? But for me, most importantly, what's coming out is the idea of people who are courageous to tackle change for the benefit of a greater good. Think of the five Mandela libraries. Think of the digital libraries. Think of the young people at Kids Heaven who can go close. And I'm sure Sarah has experienced someone saying, I've never come close to a black African woman who have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Everest, the Seven Peaks. Can I touch you? Kind of thing, right? Imagine just how being able to deal with change, being able to adapt to change for the benefit of a greater good. How amazing is change in one generation? <laughs>
And you've now actually given up a permanent job yeah. in order to devote yourself to this work. Yes. That's also, it's it's quite courageous, <laughs> letting go of the salary yeah. and possibly yeah. um, share schemes and yes, whatever. Yes. It's actually interesting. A, a friend um, sent me this um, quote. It says, there are three things that are very addictive to humans, and that is cocaine, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. So I said, <laughs> I, I have no problem with one and two. I probably need rehab with number three. Um, I, I think for me, it's um, it, it was a no-brainer. I wasn't finding my significance in that environment. And, and I, I had paid my dues, and I think this journey um, is a journey that I'm comfortable with, that I can go to sleep at night and be very comfortable. One of the things that I actually didn't mention is how I demystified, for the lack of a better word, my mother's, the sky is the limit. Because when I to- got to the top of the world, the clouds were beneath me. I think we need to aim higher. Just because that's what we can see doesn't mean that's how high we can go. We can do more, we can do better, we can definitely change the narrative for the next generation of Africans. What a wonderful note to end on. Do you want to maybe wrap it up? I think for us, Ruda, without a doubt, every single guest we've had thus far, we see clearly, and, and, and I hope our listeners are beginning to get a sense of, you cannot change if you're in your comfort zone. So being outside the comfort zone means dissatisfied with the current status quo of how things are. We just heard from Sarah as she concluded the power of the vision. We can aim higher. We shouldn't just be limited with what we see. Go That's, above the clouds. Go above the cloud. That's compelling vision. But of course, even with those two, it's not enough. You need the ability to take the first steps. And for me, that's where social support, other people in our lives who helps us to achieve our dreams become so important. With that D times V times F, there is no way resistance can stand in the way of that powerful combination. And Sarah is testament to that. Thank you so much. Thank you for making time, for being here. She looks so beautiful. I wish we had a, we were on video. Yeah. Thank, um, you. thank you for having me. Thank you again, Frank. It's always such a pleasure. And it's a pleasure just to listen to these amazing stories. We're growing as we listen to how others have navigated change. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for your time. And uh, please join us again. You can, you could hear from this one that it is absolutely worth it. Until the next time on The Change Exchange.